You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I received a piece of work from the desk of David Hale, Portfolio Manager at 91, and the first paragraph says the following. We expect the agri-sector to go through significant change over the next decade, both in finding ways to reduce its own footprint, but also to provide solutions to broader sustainability challenges. David is with me, as I said, and David, I must say that I live in a particularly dense intensive agricultural area of the Netherlands, in the south of the Netherlands. And there's been a huge outcry recently because we're not meeting EU standards or the farming industry isn't. And so the government is offering farmers money to give up farming because it's just not environmentally sound, according to the European Union. And I imagine these are the sort of problems, not specifically that sort of problem, but these are the sort of problems that agriculture faces. Exactly that. I think, um, you know, the contribution that agriculture makes to man-made emissions is quite significant. And uh, the ways in which we have to mitigate that and uh, reduce that is is definitely a challenge. And I think specifically when it comes to the production of animal proteins, you know, there is a lot that still needs to happen to try to get rid of that um, environmental footprint. Yes, indeed. The first example that you come up with is nitrogen fertilizer industry. Tell us more, please. Yeah, I think nitrogen is interesting because it's um, it's definitely seen as part of the problem, but also as part of the solution. So nitrogen is one of the three key um, you know inputs for any plant to grow, and because farmers see a direct correlation between the agricultural yields and the nitrogen application, they tend to sometimes over-apply nitrogen. Now, at the same time, the nitrogen industry is a big producer of ammonia, which is going to play a role in the energy transition going forward. So so quite a few of the fertilizer companies that we look at is uh, developing strategies where ammonia is going to be used in the hydrogen economy and it isn't only going to be a fertilizer input, so to speak. Is that the short-term or the long-term view? I mean, is there a distinction between the two timeframes? It definitely is a longer-term view. I would say that the projects that's currently underway are probably going to come online over the next two or three years and then ramp up, you know, over the course of the decade. I think the, you know, hydrogen story and the the ways in which we transport hydrogen, which is going to be ammonia, methanol, and a few other ways as well, is going to be a longer-term opportunity. But I also think that there's an, an underappreciation for low-carbon production of ammonia and hydrogen and I think the fertilizer industry has has realized that or have a first mover advantage because they started to work already three, four, five years ago on this. Your second example is protein industry. And you start by saying the following, the long-term view, your long-term view is, we see the protein industry as being disrupted already by new technology around plant-based and cellular-based alternatives. My personal experience of the plant-based alternatives is that they took off enormously, terribly fashionable, and uh, you know the aisles were packed at my local supermarket, but now it's fallen off a cliff recently. Yes, I think there's definitely been a period of experimentation where households have tried out these products. And I think the taste profile and the texture profile of some of these, you know, sort of faux meats 
aren't really up to scratch yet. But I do think that it has taken a certain amount of market share and it's going to grow to an extent. But I think the companies have to do more work around flavor, around taste, around texture as well. I also think that there are definitely ways for the traditional meat industry and also the fish industry, so aquaculture, to actually play a role in the decarbonization of proteins. You know, I think that there are definitely work being done and products being developed at the moment to reduce the emissions from beef and dairy and then also other livestock. But to a large extent, I think the aquaculture industry is underappreciated as a low-carbon protein alternative. And there's structural growth that we see on a five to 10-year view because, you know, salmon and other fish species have a much better footprint. And so the environmental consideration together with the health aspect of these, you know, proteins are probably going to mean that households favor them, um, you know, in the longer term. Yes, they call salmon the chicken of the sea. I know it's one of the most popular foods now in the United Kingdom, but I also noticed that some chefs are coming out and saying, we will not put farmed salmon in our restaurant because it's such poor quality. I don't know. That's not an environmental issue. That's just, again, an observation from myself. You say the near-term view is protein markets are recovering, albeit at different paces. Is that what you've already referred to? For example, aquaculture and farmed salmon, for example, keeping up the pace uh, at the expense of others? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the moment, and this is a shorter term comment and a shorter term view, is basically that there are different you know, markets that are in different points of the cycle, basically. And because we can invest globally, you know, we would um, you know, specialize or look at the details of, for instance, the US chicken market or the Brazilian chicken market and the Chinese pork market, as an example. And so what you're seeing at the moment is that there's some correlation between the recovery of those markets, but it, you know, it is in different points in the cycle. I think salmon prices are still quite high and rising again, but quite a bit of that is on a seasonal basis. And then you've seen quite a big slump in Chinese pork markets and also U.S. and Brazilian poultry markets. And I think there, you know, it's quite an interesting investment opportunity because you're basically starting off quite a low base and we could experience a multi-year recovery depending on how demand plays out next year and into 2025 as well. well. Let's talk about opportunities now, because I think if you were said to most investors, um, would you like to invest in the agri sector, they wouldn't know where to start. I mean, they might say, well, what do you want me to do is buy some wheat options or something like that on the Chicago Board of Trade. But you say overall agriculture is a broad subsector with a wealth of opportunities and where 91 has significant expertise. Give us some examples, if you would. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is broad. I would say that we, you know, started our focus around the agricultural inputs. So seed, you know, fertilizer, crop protection products, also farm equipment. But then we move on and there's a smaller opportunity in commercial farming. But then the primary off takers of those products, so the grain products, you know, and the other products that come from a farm, the primary off takers, the processes, the traders, and the ingredient manufacturers are also part of our investable universe. And then we see soft commodities, you know, sort of non-food soft commodities, you know, such as forest products, you know, timber, lumber, and such as part of the investable opportunity. And then lastly, 
as I said, the protein space, that's slightly more downstream from the, the primary grain production. You know, it's also an interesting area. And, you know, all three of these, you know, kind of buckets have interesting structural growth drivers that's going to come from the energy transition. But the traditional drivers are still intact, you know, population growth, although it has slowed somewhat globally, but urbanization in emerging markets, I think, is definitely still a theme. And then the need for higher agricultural yield, because farmland is a scarce commodity, and we've got to look after the soil. Indeed. David, thank you very much for your insight. Uh, Fascinating chat. David Hale is a portfolio manager at 91. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.